salatu wassalam ala rasulillah. All praise due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on his last Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The topic of today's khutbah was what is known in Arabic as infaq. Or in English, we would call it the spending of one's money. And what it was referring to specifically is charity and uh, zakah. From an Islamic point of view, the term infaq uh, usually is related to money which is spent for the sake of Allah. Of course, spending money on your family, etc., is also included in the general heading of infaq. However, uh, what is intended here, or in the topic of the khutbah, is money spent purely for the pleasure of Allah. And in the first part of the khutbah, the imam spoke about the voluntary charity. And before looking at the concept of voluntary charity in Islam, it is important for us to understand that the principle of giving in charity is something which Allah has ordained for us as a part and parcel of our religious practices. Because we are in need of developing a charitable approach to life. It is necessary for us to succeed in this life, to pass the test that Allah has set up in this life, to have a charitable nature. Without that nature, we will not succeed. Because the wealth which Allah has given us, if it is not spent in charity, in a charitable way, then it will be spent merely on our individual or family needs and it will be wasted in extravagant and sinful actions. And what is not spent for the pleasure of Allah will not be of any reward for us in the next life. And when we consider our 24-hour day, I'm sure each and every one of us realizes that a good portion of that day is spent in uh, transactions, business transactions, the spending, the gaining of wealth. So if the major portion or a large portion of our daily actions is not gaining us rewards, and in fact perhaps a great portion of them are being added as sins against us, it means then that we are headed for hell. 
we are headed for hell. And it means, in fact, that our salah, the prayer that we are making, is not affecting us in the way that it is designated or designed. Because Allah has said in the Quran, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ تَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ That salah prevents us from evil speech and evil deeds. Evil speech and evil deeds. The opposite of evil speech and evil deeds is good speech and good deeds. So it means that we will be charitable in our actions and even charitable in our speech because actually from an Islamic point of view charity goes all the way to words that are said. The Prophet Muhammad had even said that greeting your brother with a smile is charity. Greeting your brother with a smile is charity. So that spirit of charity for a believer affects all of his actions or her actions. And as I said, if it is not a part and parcel of the nature or the spirit of that individual, then he has missed the spirit of Islam, the path, the straight path which is headed to paradise. He has missed it. He's off the path. He is heading or she is heading for hell. And the principle of charity in Islam is based on the fact that Allah has placed some people above others. Though we speak of uh, equality, uh, when people think of setting up a just society, we speak of equality. However, in reality, no two people in this life are equal. We're not equal in wealth, strength, knowledge, looks, etc. Just as no two people have the same fingerprints, no two people have the same design of their iris, no two people are the same in anything. Sometimes these differences are just variations, and, some, and in a lot of cases these differences are superiorities. And in the case of wealth, it is one of superiority. Allah has placed some people. He has given them more than others. This is the destiny of Allah. Part of our faith is to believe in the destiny. Al-Qadr. Khairihi wa sharri. The good of it and the evil of it. We have less than somebody else. This is Allah's destiny. 
we have to accept it. It is Allah's destiny. If we have more than others, we thank Allah that He has given us more, but it also means we have more responsibilities. So Allah has placed some people over others. And this is a part of the test of this life. The test whether a person who claims to believe in Allah, who has commanded us to share what we have with others, those of us who have more have to share with those who have less. This is the commandment of Allah. If we say we believe in Allah, then we must submit to that commandment. Belief means we have accepted that commandment of God as being for our benefit. And the acceptance of that commandment, the reflection of that belief, must be in our actions. So if we have more, then the sincerity or the reality of our belief will depend on whether we are charitable or not. This is why you find in so many places in the Quran, Allah referring to Salah and linking it with Zakah or Sadaqah, the giving, the prayer and the giving. You find it throughout the Quran linked together. Because as I said, much of our dealings is in the economic sphere. And if this aspect of our life is not correct, is not in accordance with the commandments of Allah, then we have deviated. So, the test is for us to share what Allah has given us with others. And that test is not just an arbitrary test. Allah has not put it there just to make life difficult for us. Allah has set up this test for our spiritual development. We need this test for our spirit to attain the levels which Allah has created it for. We have to develop, we have to go through a period of trial in which we develop the quality of generosity. None of us doubts that a generous person is highly regarded in any society. There is something superior, something great about that generous person. And truly, it is a major quality of righteousness. This is why Allah has ordained that for us, to give and to share. Because in doing so, it purifies the spirit. It helps us to overcome the evil tendencies of the spirit, the negative tendencies of the spirit. When a person is generous, it is going to affect all of his actions. But of course, this generosity that we're speaking about is one which is done for the pleasure of Allah. Because in Islam, that's generosity. The one which will earn us reward. You have people who are generous, 
But it's not for the sake of Allah. They're generous for the purpose of control of others. If I want to capture you, I may give you some money so you become dependent on me. You become behoven to me. You know, you feel you owe me. And I remind you, you owe me. You know, maybe not in so many words, but, you know, indirectly. What I've done for you. You see, so, my, that, the one who gives in that way, this is not for the pleasure of Allah. It's not bettering this person at all. This is an evil act. Where he's using it, or she is using it for the control of others. Or if it is done to be admired by others. You have people who will do generous deeds so that others will say, what a wonderful person. See, these, when a person does good in this fashion, it's very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. Because the Prophet Muhammad had said that there would be three people who would first be thrown into the hellfire. And amongst these three people was a person who on the outside appeared to be generous. He was giving of his wealth. Because Allah will ask that person on the Day of Judgment, what did you do with the wealth which I gave you, the abundance of wealth, this, this, this blessings which Allah had bestowed on you? What did you do with it? And the person will answer, well, I gave for, his, for your pleasure, O Allah. And Allah will say, no. You gave that you may be praised by the people. That people would admire you and praise you. And you received your reward in that life. There is nothing for you but hell in this. And he will be dragged away on his face and thrown into the hellfire. So it means very serious that what we have we share but that we must do it for the pleasure of Allah not seeking a reward in this life for it now on the basis of that we understand that the principle of charity whether compulsory or voluntary is the basis of the economic system of Islam. This is what provides the economic needs of the Islamic society. The compulsory collection as well as the voluntary giving. And when we look back into the life of the Prophet Muhammad and his companions this is what we see we see the Prophet giving of whatever he had whatever came to him whatever was given to him he gave he died leaving nothing on his deathbed he instructed those of his family to make sure that everything that had been given in charity that had you know been accumulated was given out. He left no inheritance. And the major companions of the Prophet Muhammad 
demonstrated a similar level of generosity that they gave whenever they were called upon they gave and they gave without being called upon when we read from the biography of the Prophet Muhammad these are among the lessons that we should draw from that biography when we read the life of the Prophet we should not read it as facts historical facts which are recorded which may be quoted at times or taught but we should be reading that biography for the purpose of gaining lessons from it which would improve the quality of our lives which would show us the direction because that's what he was he was the guide the Prophet Muhammad is the guide for us and our way to paradise is the way which he trod the way which he walked on that is the only way to paradise so it behooves us to strive as much as possible to walk on that same path and part of it is reading his biography and learning the lessons from his lifestyle and a major part of that is generosity and it is often quoted that if Muslims were to give only the compulsory aspect of charity what we know as zakah if only they were around the world to give what is compulsory on them there would not remain a poor Muslim anywhere there would not remain a poor Muslim anywhere if only they gave what is compulsory not counting what is voluntary so this shows us that the situation of Muslims today is directly linked to the distance that the Muslim Ummah has put between itself and Islam it has shifted far away from Islam where we find Muslims starving in Somalia in southern Sudan in India or in Bangladesh or wherever Muslims living in abject poverty throughout the world this is directly related to the breakdown of this vital principle of the Islamic economic system zakah so if any of us are involved in any organization or Islamic movements or efforts we should put great emphasis on the establishment of this principle the collection of zakah should be done in an organized fashion and distributed according to the principles of Islam now 
what the Imam mentioned concerning the giving, the charity, which is done voluntarily. He quoted some verses from the Quran wherein Allah promised that the reward for the charity would be with Him. And that those who did so for His pleasure would find no sorrow or grief. And in elaborating on the meaning of such verses, the Imam quoted some statements of Prophet Muhammad like one reported by Abu Huraira, in which he quoted the Prophet Muhammad as saying that Allah accepts of charity only that which is good and pure. That is, charity doesn't mean giving your old clothes that you don't have any plans to wear anymore. You know, you've worn holes in them or whatever. So you give them away. This is not the charity that is going to earn you a good reward. Or something that is useless. You don't have any more use for it, anything. You just give it away. This is not the charity that is spoken of. You know, as Allah says in the Quran, لَن تَنَالُوا الْبِرَّ حَتَّى تُنْفِقُوا مِمَّا تُحِبُّونَ You will never attain righteousness, true righteousness, until you give of that which you love. This is the charity. The real charity is giving from that which you love, that which you wish to keep for yourself, that which you have use for. When you give of that, then you may attain true righteousness. This is a law statement. So Allah only accepts what is given, which is in itself pure and good, righteous. Halal. See, and it is on the basis of this statement that a number of scholars have rejected the concept introduced by some in modern times of giving one's interest to the poor or the needy, etc. Because you know we are not supposed to collect interest which comes in the bank. Some people or scholars of this time, in modern times, have made a ruling or opinion that it is better that you do not leave this money in the bank because these banking systems are Western controlled and the monies in these banking systems are being used, I mean the Western banks naturally will support you know, efforts of uh, missionary work through the churches, you know, amongst Muslims and, you know, various systems, maybe through the Jews, uh, harming Muslims in Palestine or whatever, you know. The point is that their systems are not in our favor. So for us to leave that money, that ex the interest which happens to accrue in the bank, for us to leave it to them, they will use it to harm us. So it is better for us to take it out and to give it to needy Muslims. 
As I said, this is a modern opinion. And most scholars have rejected this opinion based on statements like this of the Prophet Muhammad that you cannot give what is impure. This is not acceptable to Allah. It is wrong for you to have that which is impure. If you had an animal which died of itself, which you couldn't eat, which rotted or something like this, something which is unhealthy, for you to give that to others, I mean of course logic, common sense tells you this is not acceptable. Giving of interest is likewise. The Prophet Muhammad equated the simplest forms of interest to the act of having sexual relations with one's parents, a man having sex with his mother. The wrongness and the corruptness of that act, the evilness of that act is equivalent in the sight of God to a person accepting interest. Accepting or paying. So something which is so corrupt and filthy, we cannot think to give. This is why when a woman approached the Prophet Muhammad or a person approached the Prophet Muhammad asked about the case of a woman who prostituted herself and gave from the earnings in charity. The Prophet Muhammad had said it would be better that she didn't prostitute herself and not give. It would be better if she gave no charity and did not prostitute herself than to sell herself and to give of that money in charity. So, when we seek to give, we have to be sure that what we're giving is halal, is permissible, is acceptable to Allah. That which is corrupt and evil, we must avoid at all costs. So when a person gives, of what is acceptable to Allah. Abu Huraira quoted the Prophet ﷺ as saying that with Allah, that which has been given is like a seed which Allah will cause to grow and produce many other, many uh, pieces of grain. It will multiply in its value and continue to multiply until it becomes like Mount Uhud. Mount Uhud is in Medina, is a mountain in the vicinity of the second major battle that the Prophet ﷺ fought with the pagans of Mecca, the second battle known as the Battle of Uhud. There is a mountain outside of Medina there which is called Mount Uhud. So this was a, an attempt to show us how, it, how Allah multiplies 
that which is given. Why? Because when we give, it appears that we have lost. This is why the evil, those who are off the path, they look at giving as being foolish. You're giving your money to these people, or to that cause, or to this. You know, they will find every excuse not to give. And if a person is not careful, uh, what he feels is that when he gives, he has less. And, and that is practically speaking, when you look at your bank account, if you take out so much money you give it, you do have, number-wise, less. But the point is that, that which you have given is multiplied by Allah so that not only is the remaining wealth blessed and it will be of much more benefit to you but that which you have given has been kept with Allah and will be multiplied in good and be in your favor on the day of judgment and that's why the term for giving in Islam is zakah. Zakah means growth. It's one of the meanings of it. Also means purity. But it means also fundamentally growth. Because what you give grows in value. It increases in value. And this is from the grace of Allah. Had Allah wished, He could just, whatever little you give, it's counted as a little in your favor. But this is how the grace of Allah works. It is not an arbitrary grace. You know, like in Christianity, when a person accepts Jesus as his personal savior, then he receives the grace of God. It will carry him to paradise no matter what he does. This is an arbitrary grace that they speak of. Because anybody around the world who has never heard of Jesus Christ means he has no access to this grace. He will not enter paradise. Whereas in the concept the Islamic concept of the grace of God, this is linked to man's actions. That what you do, Allah multiplies its value. So here comes the grace. He increases the value to help to erase your sins. That's why Allah says in the Quran, إِنَّ الْحَسَنَاتِ يُذْهِبْنَ السَّيِّئَاتِ Truly, good deeds erase evil deeds. Because Allah multiplies the value of good ten times and more and considers an evil act equivalent only to itself. It is not multiplied. In another statement of the Prophet ﷺ, we find advice that charity can protect us from the hellfire. He was reported, Prophet was reported as saying that on the day of judgment, Allah will speak to us without any translator. Though we know different languages, On the Day of Judgment, Allah will speak to us and we will all understand. And on that day, when we look around ourselves, 
All we will see to our sides and to our backs is what we have done in this life. And in front of us, we will see hell. There will be hell in front of us. So he said, protect yourself from hell. Even if it is giving only a date. If all that you have to give in charity is a date or a piece of a date, give it to protect yourself from hell. Because that righteous act that you make, that act of charity that you do, Allah's grace multiplies it such that it could be the source of protecting you on the day of judgment from going to hell. So he said, even if it is a piece of a date, emphasizing to us that we should never consider any act of charity too small. If all we have is a little, then we give of that little. Because there always will be others who have less than our little. We should never consider that what we have is not significant. It's not big enough. It is not important enough. It is not valuable enough to give. No. We give anything that we have that is of value to us. Because remember, we said that we don't achieve the righteousness, as Allah said, until we give of that which we love. It means something which must be of value to us. We have, which is of value to us. Then, we give of it. No matter how small it might appear in our eyes to others. Because it will benefit us on the day of judgment if we do it for the sake of Allah. And in the verses which speak of giving in the Quran, Allah promises that those who give will not be overcome by sorrow or grief. This may be interpreted to mean, as the Imam interpreted, that when a person gives, Allah blesses what he has, whether it is wealth, the wealth he has remaining, or his family, his children, whatever he has is blessed by Allah in such a way that he finds in it happiness. He finds in it contentment. He is not overcome with frustration and sorrow. When we look in the people of the West, for example, and people of the East too, but particularly in people of the West, whenever you hear the stock market crashes, you know, in America or England, Europe, whatever, you hear the stock market crashes, then you hear so many stockbrokers jumped out of the third floor or the fifth floor, killed themselves. Now these are people who are not poor people. Not that they became poor all of a sudden. But the frustration 
which overcomes them when there is a major failure, drives them to suicide. I remember reading a few years back about one man. You know, there was a, a drop in the value of one of the stocks on the market. And this man came into the office of his stockbroker with a machine gun. He shot down his, uh, his, his stockbroker, you know, everybody, a few other people in the office, then turned it on himself. Now this man was a millionaire. I mean, he lost something like, you know, five or eight million dollars with the dropping of that stock. But it didn't mean he became poor. He was still a millionaire. Because just instead of having ten million, he dropped down to two million. And that drove him to massacre people, you know, in the office, his stockbroker, and kill himself. See, this is what we're talking about, where a person may have wealth, but he still becomes overcome with grief, distress, you know. Uh, he doesn't have that peace of mind and contentment. And this is one of the things which has amazed many of the people of the West who come, you know, to, to work in charitable efforts in various parts of the Muslim world. You know, I remember reading some articles by those who had gone into Bangladesh after the flood. There was a big flood and a lot of lives were lost. They showed pictures in Time magazine of bodies floating, you know, animals and people, etc. And I remember reading some of the writers, and one of the writers saying about, you know, how when they were talking with these people, they didn't find them, you know, overcome with grief. I mean, they found them, they were saddened by the situation. But they were prepared to, to move on and to try to, you know, get their lives back together. And I mean, there seemed to be a sense of contentment amongst them, acceptance amongst them, that, you know, really surprised the writer. You know. And this is part of the Islamic view of life. And when a person is has the generous spirit of giving what it does is it gives the, the, the end result is that that person has a contentment which cannot be bought no matter how much money you cannot buy that state of contentment what people try to, with all their monies you know to buy this uh, houses and yachts and all the different things that they try to buy to make life pleasurable they cannot buy that contentment. Cannot be bought. And this is why you find people, you're surprised. You read about certain rock stars and whatever, you know, they have all this money and pleasure, and they're on drugs. They overdose, die, and, you know, you, find, you wonder what, you know, football players were making millions of dollars, boxers, and, you know, Mike Tyson in jail. I mean, it's people who, who seem to have everything of this life, but yet their lives are a wreck. Onassis, if you read about his life, Onassis is one of the richest, you know, uh, shipping magnates in the world. I mean, the guy lived and died a terrible life. His wife, his children, you know, were in, in horrible states. Why? Because contentment, that contentment, which comes from Allah, cannot be bought. You can't buy it. And it only comes through generosity for the pleasure of Allah. When a person gives for the sake of Allah, then he attains a level of contentment that 
protects him from being overcome by distress, anxiety, grief, etc. He's not overcome by it. In other words, it does not drive him to sin. It doesn't mean he may not experience any grief. Because of course, Prophet Muhammad was the best of us in the field of generosity. But he experienced grief. When his child died, tears came to his eyes. Companions asked him, Are you crying? He was surprised. He felt he shouldn't be crying. You know, you know he, but he mentioned that you know, the, the eyes, they will cry. There's natural grief which we all go through. But the heart remains content with Allah. That Allah gives and He takes. But we are human beings. We will still feel grief. But it will not be overcome by it. It will not capture our hearts and drive us to evil when a person gives. And also, this verse, the verse is similar, have been interpreted in terms of the next life. That such people who give truly, as they should, will attain paradise. Where, of course, there will be no grief or sorrow at all. So, the Imam closed off the first part of the khutbah reminding those of us who have wealth that if we are wise we will utilize the opportunity that we have to spend of that wealth wise amongst us is he or she who does not miss an opportunity to spend of that wealth for the pleasure of Allah because whatever opportunities that pass us, we cannot bring back. The wise person is one who utilizes his means, his time, wisely. That is gaining benefit from it. Both in this life, as Allah has promised, as well as in the next. And he reminded us that the Prophet Muhammad being the most generous amongst us, was the most generous during the month of Ramadan. That in this month, we should try to outdo ourselves in generosity, as the Prophet Muhammad himself did. Not that we are only generous in this month, and that we are stingy for the rest of the year, which is unfortunately what we find amongst some people, that during the rest of the year they don't give anything, but in the month of Ramadan because they hear that the Prophet ﷺ said that when you give in this month, that which you give has been multiplied in value. So they figure, okay, I give in this month, it will make up for all, all my stinginess the rest of the year. But you see, again, this is a distorted view of how Allah's grace operates. It's not a mathematical calculation that you can make wherein you do good for a period of time and then you do evil deliberately no this is not how it operates like I remember you know a year or two ago when we were having one of our circles here one of the brothers had asked uh, about how you know the Prophet said that 
one prayer in Mecca, in the Masjid, is worth a hundred thousand prayers elsewhere. So this brother now had started to make some calculations. <laughs> if he went to Mecca for one week, right, and he made all his prayers there, you know, multiplying it by a hundred thousand, this would cover, you know, the rest of his life, basically. You know. So he was asking about this. You know, if a person did that for a week, I mean, does that cover him for the rest of his life? No, this is what I tried to explain to him. That, you know, although Prophet said that, and we believe he said that it's worth a hundred thousand, this is not a mathematical calculation for us that we, you know, work out here. And, and, and it becomes now a... a a means by which we may do some good things for a period of time and then deliberately give it up. Because prayer has been ordained for us daily until we die. As generosity has been ordained for us daily until we die. Yearly in the form of zakah and daily in the form of charity until we die. Not something we do sometimes, and then we don't need to do it anymore. So, it's true. The giving in Ramadan is multiplied greatly. But it is only if it is done with the true spirit of giving. That person who is stingy all year long, do you think that in Ramadan he can give with the true spirit of giving? No. He can't. He's giving as an accountant counting up his blessings you see the real spirit isn't there he's just going through the mechanical actions the rituals thinking that these rituals are going to earn him the grace of God but it doesn't rituals will not earn of the animal this is not what goes to God it is your piety the pious spirit within with which you make that sacrifice, this is what Allah sees as what a, an added incentive, an added, you could say, uh, training period for us to, to increase our level for the coming year. That's what we're doing when we try to increase during Ramadan. It's so that when we come out of Ramadan, after Eid, we now become more generous. You know, we've, we've gone up a notch from the last year. That's the idea, to increase our, our capacity for generosity by in, giving a concentrated effort during Ramadan. In the second part of the khutbah, the Imam then spoke about zakah, the compulsory charity, which we mentioned was linked to salah throughout the Qur'an. And sometimes the term zakah refers to charity in general. And we find that there are great punishments which have been set aside for those people who refuse to give zakah. In the Quran Allah speaks about those who hoard their wealth. That they will receive a severe punishment. In the hellfire they will find themselves branded on their foreheads and their backs with the wealth which they hoarded. 
And in Sahih Bukhari, we find the Prophet Muhammad talking about the Day of Judgment wherein the wealth which was hoarded will take the form of a snake which will torture the person on the Day of Judgment for his unwillingness to give as Allah had prescribed. And we find also that after the death of the Prophet Muhammad when a group of people who considered themselves to be Muslims decided that they didn't want to pay zakah any longer the, the, the caliph Abu Bakr stated that he would fight anyone who made any distinction between salah and zakah they are indistinguishable they are as compulsory as the other a person who refuses to pay zakah giving it up denying it leaves Islam becomes a non-Muslim if a person does not give it out of stinginess and the Islamic State uh, finds out then all of his wealth is taken it's divided into two he gets back half and the other half is taken from him as punishment this is the law so Muslims in that first few years after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, fought those people gave their lives fighting against those people who refused to pay zakah denying its validity showing us how important the concept of zakah and the payment of zakah is in Islam having known that it is important for us to calculate our zakah correctly it's not an arbitrary kind of thing that we do but we should calculate it correctly give more than giving less you know better if you have doubts um, whether it is this or that give them more it is better to have given more than you needed to give than to have given less than you were supposed to give and there are books available which will help you to calculate how to give your zakah etc available on the market many in Arabic a few in English like Fiqh Sunnah and we should also ensure that the zakah which is given is distributed in accordance with the commandments of Allah it's not just an arbitrary giving again Allah has defined those people who should receive zakah so we have to make sure that those we give are those people who are eligible to receive and that is basically the main points of the khutbah just uh, recapping them we said that the concept of charity is among the basic concepts of Islam worship in Islam acts of worship which provides the basis for the economic system of Islam provides the basis of the economic system of Islam and it is primarily there for the development of the human spirit for it to attain the levels of generosity and righteousness 
which Allah has ordained for it. Therefore it is to our benefit to give for the pleasure of Allah. Remembering that it is only what is given for the pleasure of Allah which will be of value to us in the next life. It will help protect us from hell. It will remove our evil deeds. And in developing that spirit of giving we will also be blessed with divine contentment in this life which will help us to be able to handle the trials and the tribulations of living and dying and that we should handle our zakah correctly set a time for paying it calculating it correctly and ensuring that we give it to those who are deserving of that zakah are there any uh, comments first people would like to make or add to the presentation? Uh, you have a question or a comment? Yeah, I, have a, I have a question in reference to uh, Sikha. And I have a comment in reference to Sikha. Like, I went to Sikha, I read uh, two hadith. One where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that you were mentioning that Rasulullah said that we should give uh, a piece of a date. Right? That's all we had. If we had a date, we should give a portion of it. But I read a hadith where he said all we had was a burnt book. In other words, we had uh, a piece of a bone from an animal that we had maybe thrown into the fire and waste. Right? But he specifically said a burnt book. And someone came to your door and asked for something. And if that's all we had to give, we should not send it away every hand. We should give that to them. Right? So it places a greater emphasis on Sadaqa. Also, uh, I read when Rasulullah said that um, when a person who is giving Sadaqa, if he gives it to someone else to give for him, that person gets credit as though they were the originators of the Sadaqa. And the person who gave it to them gets twice the reward. That's my, my comments in reference to Sadaqah. Now my, my question is in reference to Zakat is what is the difference between the Zakat that we pay on our um, accumulated savings and the Zakat of fifth? And when do we pay the Zakat on our accumulated savings? What is the difference as far as the time? Well, uh, the question on the difference between Zakatul Fitr and what they call Zakatul Mal is that Zakatul Mal is paid once per year on money which has been accumulated, kept with you for over a year. Once a year has passed on it, if you have a savings of thousand reals a year passes and that savings of a thousand reals remains with you you might have used and added and used and added but it remains at the end of the year's time you still have one thousand in the bank then 2.5 percent of that should be given after a year has passed so we don't have this fiscal year like january 1st is the beginning it's one when, from the time that we have accumulated that money yeah from the time 
from the time that your money now reaches the stage where zakah becomes eligible from it, right? Then the calculation goes. Of course. Yeah, you know, and um, also you may find some difficulty in maintaining that calculation. You know, if you are constantly adding, you know, uh, your money started off with a thousand and it went to a thousand five, then two thousand, then you know, to try to work out at the end of one year, okay, you had a thousand in January, so you have to give what was on a thousand. Now, by February, you had a thousand five. So you have an extra five you have to give on that five. You know, calculating like that. This is what is technically required of you. However, what you can do to just keep it uh, easy and, and simple is that if you started off with a thousand, which is eligible now for payment of zakah, if at the end of one year you now have five thousand, then you pay zakah on the five thousand and carry on. That way you remove from yourself the problems of all the intermediate or intermittent calculations. You'll be giving more. It'll be more than actually what is required of you. But as I said, it's better to give more than to give less. You know, to have to have those continual calculations and sometimes you might forget and, you know, uh, then you find yourself in, in a situation where you've actually entered into sin because you've not given when you should have given better to make a general calculation and just pay, you set a time in the year, whether it's January, could be the fiscal year, or you can set a time, a lot of people what they do is they give in Ramadan, they choose Ramadan as the month for giving their zakah, you know, believing that of course the reward of giving in Ramadan is increased. So giving of zakah at that time is increased. This is questionable, but in any case, uh, Ramadan is as good a time to give as any other. You give both the zakat al-fitr and the zakat al-mal at the same time? No. The zakat al-mal, I mean, you could give them both at the same time, but what I mean is that they're still different. You know, the zakat al-fitr now is what everybody has to give because uh, zakat al-mal is really for those whose money reaches a certain point. You know, those who are in, in zakat, who have to give from zakat al-fitr is a wider, a wider group. You know, you may not, you may be a person eligible for zakat mal but yet give from zakat fitr See, each person is required to give, say, you know, um, uh, calculation is fa'a of, um, of uh, grain or dates or something like this. A person who may give of that may be a person receiving zakat. Because his total wealth may not be amongst at uh, the level where he has to pay zakah. But he has sufficient wealth to be able to give that much. The only person who doesn't give is one who has nothing to give. Zakat of fitr includes a wider group. And that must be done before the prayer of Eid. Is that any time during the month of Ramadan before the prayer of Eid? Well, uh, it is preferable to give it on the day of Eid before the prayer. It would, the companions also would give a few days before, a day or two before. And of course, in general, if one does give, you know, even a good period before that, it's still acceptable. But the preferable time 
the way of the Prophet was to give on the day in the morning of Eid, you know. And the day of Eid begins from Maghrib of the previous day. So it can be given from that evening. Right? You don't have to wait until the actual morning, you know, on the way. Because here now you have people who are professional zakat collectors, you know, who are not really poor people and in need who line themselves and put themselves up in certain places to collect this uh, zakat al-fitr, you know, on the day of Eid. And um, as I said, it is better for you to find the people who really need and not just give as a ritual. See, what happens is people just, most people are just giving as a ritual. So it's convenient and easy just to give to those people that are lining up. You know, you have the, they will set up these places where they, they, you can buy the grain you have somebody right next to him, so right next to him. So you, you buy the bag, you give it to the person right next, and you keep moving, right? You've not made any effort on your part to find a correct charitable source to give through. And you know, you know, in Islam, in any case, always, you know, deeds. The value of deeds are going to depend on the effort that you make, spiritual and otherwise. So. We have that preferable time from Maghrib until before the prayer. If you did not do so, you should still give after the prayer of Eid, but it is not considered to be zakatul fitr. Well, there are two opinions among scholars concerning it or two or more uh, some hold that if she has a jewelry etc it's considered a part of her wealth and she must pay and there are some statements of the Prophet Muhammad which are authentic which point in that direction others hold that the wealth if she if she uses it as ornamentation for her personal use then there is no zakah on it but if she stores it as a means of storing her wealth you have some people for example money they have they may put it into jewelry and hoard it keep it away in a safety deposit box or whatever they're not wearing it it's not it's not used for ornamentation purposes it's a really a means of storing wealth then they should pay on it yes <coughs> oh wait a minute brother had his hand up for you Alaikum salam Before comments and questions, uh, knowing that the uh, charitable person or generous, becoming a generous person is a very significant in Islam. So, uh, this, uh, without questioning the, the spiritual value of uh, the other side of uh, being generous, materially speaking, uh, my question is, the, is to become a witch in Islam is something uh, allowable or not? If it be, then uh, maybe with the present trend of the world of our world economy, it would be impossible to be a witch. So my simple question is: uh, Is there a institutionalized, uh, I mean, uh, institution that would uh, really? Uh, where the money we can give to it so that they will be the one to distribute all over the needy. 
Uh, our brother's first question was um, uh, understanding the encouragement to generosity. Uh, would this indicate that Muslims should not become rich? <coughs> um, of course, if they were not rich Muslims, then the issues of generosity would not come into play, would it? If we're all poor, all in need, then who is going to give? The point is that rich Muslims are according to the destiny of God. God destines people to be rich and people to be poor. There will always be rich and poor. This is why the attempt by communism to equalize people, to put them all on the same level, failed. Because it goes against the will of God and the nature of man. The will of God that some people will have more than others. And the nature of man to want to possess more when they work harder. This is his nature. So the reality, as Islam perceives it, is that there will always be rich and poor. Muslims are encouraged to strive their utmost to gather wealth and means around them as much as they can from the halal means through means which are permissible see of course the Muslim is not it's not just a door open he says and Islam says just get whatever you can I mean this is the capitalist approach right you get whatever you can however you can if it means stabbing this person in the back if it means you know hoarding and you know causing poverty in areas whatever however you can do it you do it Whereas from the Islamic person's point of view, do it, but within the channels which are permissible. You may only do so within permissible channels. But you are encouraged to gather, to work, to do your best, to improve the quality of your life and of your family. See, Islamic system, welfare begins from the home. Prophet said it's better that you leave your family with, because a man, one of the major companions, was dying and he wanted to give away all of his money. So he died leaving no money behind. Prophet ﷺ forbade him from doing so. Forbade him. And he said, okay, can I give half? He forbade it. No. So he said a third. He said, okay, a third and even a third is too much. But he allowed him to give away a third. Because he said it is better for you to leave your family taken care of than to leave them begging others. You see, though you may have you know, gained for yourself these rewards of giving, you have now put your family in a, in a situation, a bad situation. And the Prophet ﷺ used to make dua or supplication, asking Allah's protection from poverty. You know, poverty is not something which a Muslim seeks. You know, this is a distorted concept. You have some people actually who try to promote this. You know, that poverty is like a badge that you, you know, you wear showing your piety. Poverty and piety are equivalent. But no. I mean, though Prophet Muhammad had said that, you know, the poor would enter paradise, you know, some 500 years before the rich. I mean... At the same time, you see, we have to look at these things within the context of all of the teachings. Don't just take this statement out by itself 
And where it now appears to, to indicate that it's better to be poor, you know, make sure you get to paradise 500 years before the rich. No, because it is the rich person who gives the right of Allah in his riches. He will be there amongst the first. Most of the first people going into paradise will be the rich person who is given, blessed by Allah, and gives what Allah asks of him, and more. So, it's a general situation. It's a general situation. That poor people don't have as much burdens in terms of responsibilities of giving as those who are rich. So it means that there is less chance of them disobeying Allah. Okay, this is this is what this is what it looks like. It doesn't mean that um, Islam doesn't encourage people to do to to gain wealth, but that you gain wealth and you give the right of Allah in that wealth. Follow. So in any given Islamic society, there will be rich and poor. But if if the society is functioning according to Islamic principles, then the rights of the poor in the wealth of the riches will be uh, protected and insured. But uh, brother, uh, in relation to that, uh, for the... I mean, the point is that nowadays, with the trend of our world economy, to become rich is something uh, Impossible for uh, to become more rich. Okay, our brother's statement is that with the trend of the world economies, it is impossible to become rich or very rich or super rich. Well, I don't think so, brother. You see, the world economy may have certain complexities which didn't exist a thousand years ago, but people are people. The means of accumulating wealth may vary and may differ, but the accumulation takes place from the time of Adam until the last man on this earth. There will be ways and means of gaining riches. There will be rich and the poor. That's why you see the teachings of Islam in the Quran, they are eternal. They go back to the past and they go ahead to the future. And that's why Allah warns those who hoard wealth. Because there always will be people who hoard wealth. And there always will be means and ways that a person may gain wealth honestly. There always will be. The trend of the world's economy, if we look at the economy today as it is right now, Saudi Arabia has been blessed by Allah with oil, which provides a means of enriching the people of this land and of all Muslim lands. This was given by God. When the oil is finished, Allah may bless another Muslim country with something else. You know, in the future, 
you know, uh, as technology develops, we may find some other means or w of, of fuel, and you may find it in some other country. Maybe in Philippines, in Mindanao, where Muslims are concentrated, and, you know, under the earth there, there will be some, some uh, chemical or some uh, mineral deposit, which is vital now to the whole world economy, which will cause them to become super rich. So this is how things have gone. Before it was gold. You know, people would have a place where you could mine gold. You know, you are fortunate to find gold on your land. Now it is oil. Another time it may be something else. You see, these things we cannot predict the future. This is why the ideas of population explosion and all these other kind of ideas which the West likes to promote, they're false. Okay, but it, it came out of the Western philosophy, right? Uh, the point is that there will always be a means of accumulating wealth. And it is for Muslims to do so in ways which are permissible and to give the right of God in that wealth to those who are in need. Uh, the second part of your question was? Oh, institutional giving, uh, ensuring that the monies that we give reach the people who are in need. Yes. There are different institutions which have been set up here, um, uh, Islamic welfare uh, organizations or relief organizations, etc., are available. You know, the, where you can give your money and they do ensure that it is given to those people in need. They have brochures, they have, you can see videos on what they have done, you know, the charitable acts that they've been involved in, you know, in, in, in reaching needy Muslims and helping them in various places. Uh, if a person wants to know that, they can go to, for example, uh, WAMI, the World Assembly of Muslim Youth. They have uh, various uh, charitable organizations. They have a list of them, which one can approach, which they have a detailed, details of their programs, etc., which one can be involved in to ensure that their money gets to those who are in need. Questions about Sakaba. Firstly, is it permissible to give cash instead of food? And secondly, is it okay to give to a government? Because a Muslim government is collecting Sakaba. Um, should you give it to the government uh, who's taking it, distributing it, or should you try to find uh, a poor person on your own? Okay, uh, concerning giving wealth instead of uh, money instead of uh, food, um, there are of course two opinions on this. Um, uh, one may look at both arguments and decide for oneself what is uh, most appropriate. Uh, in my opinion, if, it's, if there is possible to give food, I mean, since this was what the Prophet Muhammad did, then it's better to do that. As long as we're able, we have the means, better to do that. Um, if we don't have a means to give in the form of food because of the circumstance we might find ourselves in, uh, then as a second option, we may give in the form of money. But first option should be to do it in accordance with the way of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu uh, In terms of uh, the second question was? Uh, giving the zakat al-fitr to a government. Or giving the zakat al-fitr to a government. Well, no, well, you know, uh, always in terms of giving you have to start with those around you. If you cannot find anybody around you, then you may consider giving it to somebody across the waters or in another land or whatever but 
Islamically your responsibility is to give to those in need in your immediate circumstances, your immediate area. So this is where you should start. It would be wrong for you to send it elsewhere. I mean, I know like people in America, for example, I know uh, people uh, for who are from lands of the East, when the time comes to give of this uh, zakat al-fitr or zakah in general, some of them will send it back to their home countries to give. But actually it's wrong. They should give it in the circumstance in America because there are needy people in America. And the wealth that they have gained, which has put them in that position to be able to do it, is from the wealth of the people of America. So they have the first right in receiving of the charity before anybody else. Pardon? You pay the zakah, the question was, a wage earner may save between 10 or 80% of his salary, depending on how frugally he lives. Uh, how do we calculate the zakah? Do we calculate on uh, a median? Do we set a median? Or do we set a minimum? No, actually, we are enjoined as Muslims to live moderately. You know, to avoid excesses. And we calculate according to what is with us. Inshallah, we should be living moderately. So what is with us is what is reasonable to give in zakah. If a person lives excessively, you know, because he knows he has to pay zakah, so he's trying to spend off as much as he can, so he has the least amount to pay in zakah, then of course, what it means is that he's caught up in the ritual again. He's just going through the motions. Right? He's the spirit of giving isn't there. I mean, he is a waster. You know, Allah says in the Quran, in Al-Mubadzirina, كَانُوا إِخْوَانَ الشَّيَاطِينَ كَانَ الشَّيْطَانُ لِرَبِّهِ كَفُورًا That verily those who are extravagant and wasteful, they are of the brethren of the devils. And the devil was a disbeliever in his Lord. So it means a person who is living that kind of a lifestyle, you know, trying to spend off as much of his money so he doesn't have to give, you know, so much in zakah. Such a person is really a devilish person. A person who was really heading for hell, just going through the ritual motions of, of uh, giving in zakah. But it's meaningless, of no value, not acceptable to Allah. And there are questions regarding with that, uh, the interest which is deposited in the non-Islamic bank. Can we not just take the interest and give to, to a Muslim without expecting any reward? Otherwise, it would be better for us not to deposit in, in a non-Islamic bank because if it's just as good as we are helping our enemy to become rich from our own money. Uh, our brother's question <coughs> concerning uh, monies which are in the banks, non-Islamic banks which are producing interest, would it not be better for us to take that interest and give to our brother without expecting any reward from Allah than to leave it? Uh, uh, or would it not be better for such a person to put his money in an Islamic bank? Well, if there is an Islamic bank available, yes, it's better to put his money in an Islamic bank. Or if he puts the money in a non-Islamic banking account, then it should be in one which doesn't accrue interest. But if he has his money in a bank and it is accruing interest, meaning that 
he has signed a contract which is sinful you know a contract to receive interest which is in itself sinful just signing the contract because Prophet said that the one who gives interest who receives it who witnesses it right what was the fourth one who writes the contract right all of these are equal in sin so even if you don't receive it but you've written a contract to accept it you're, you're equally involved in the sin so your sin began with you signing up for that account in the bank now that sinful money which comes from that sinful act for you to take it becomes even more sinful because you've compounded your sin you see, you're, you're, you're building up the sin on top of yourself. You're saying, well, I'm going to give it without any intention of reward from Allah. But what you're doing is compounding the sin on yourself. <laughs> right? Remember, like the Prophet ﷺ said concerning the woman who was prostituting herself and giving in charity. Right? Good act. Giving in charity. Prostituting herself. A sinful act. He said, better, she didn't give in charity and didn't do the prostitution you know better for her so to receive that once you have taken that even though you're saying my intention is to give it without seeking reward from Allah you have taken the interest you have partaken of the interest you see this again as I said is, is, a, is a compounding of the sinful act so I subscribe to the view of those scholars who hold that the interest which is in the bank should not be touched. As Allah said in the Quran, you have the right to your principle. Right? You have the right to the principle, what you initially put. You can take that out. You won't be oppressed and you shouldn't oppress. This is the safest approach. Yes, it's better not to. But you know, of course, it depends on your circumstance. You know. Yeah, truly. You know, but of course, you know, we have to be practical. We're living in a circumstance. You know, if we're living in the Philippines or in America, there's no Islamic bank. You know, for you to keep large amounts of money in your home knowing full well that in, like in America they say you know one out of every or two out of every four homes or something like this or two out of every five homes is, is robbed you know and I just read in the newspaper about the rise in crime for example in Manila you know people are breaking into homes all the time for you to be putting your money inside of your home you're asking for problems right you have a duty, you know, you've been given this money, you have a duty to put it in a safe, a relatively safe place. You know? But what you do is you try to do it in such a way as to not, uh, in, you know, bring sin upon yourself. To minimize uh, what you may, what may result from that action of putting it in the bank. And of course, this is also incentive for Muslims to develop alternatives. Islamic system not enough for us just to turn around and say there are no Islamic banks so this is why I'm sticking my money in this interest bearing account and no 
wait a minute. You know, if you have money, he has money, the other one has money, why don't you all try to set up a, an institution? It doesn't have to be a bank because maybe the laws of the country will not allow the setting up of an Islamic bank because the, the laws of the country, economic laws, say that banks must collect interest. So you set up an alternative institution, you know, a credit union or some other institution by which monies can be put in, can be looked after, can be invested to increase their, their, uh, their value and that to benefit the society so it's not just hoarding, right? It is our duty to set up these alternatives. Yeah, brother, you mentioned about old clothes that you don't like. And I've been thinking about it. You know, if, if you don't like your own clothes, but that, per you know, if you give it and then it's meaningless, then would it be better not to give at all? <laughs> okay, our brother is asking about old clothes, which you no longer like, like you no longer care for. Is it, uh, if when giving it, if it's meaningless, because Allah said that, you know, you will not attain righteousness unless you give of that which is loved by you, that which is dear to you, precious to you. Um, that to give up those clothes, if it's really of no value, is it better not to give? No. If you don't give this clothes, which is of no, you know, no more use to you, then you become wasteful. So you fall into another sin. <laughs> right? You understand? Because if something is of no longer of any value, then you should give it to somebody else who can take value out of it. You, you understand? No, but I'm, uh, try to understand what I'm saying here though. Right? When you give in this fashion here, you are pleasing Allah by not being wasteful. So you are doing a righteous deed in this fashion. You see? You understand what I'm saying? This is not, like, this is not now an issue of generosity. Because we talked about it. We didn't say that there is no value in that giving. No. There is value in the giving of the things which you no longer have any need for, any use for. There is value in giving it. Right. Yes. The value in giving it is avoiding uh, being amongst those who are wasteful because for it to sit in your home of no benefit to you of no benefit to anybody else then it's wasteful you're just accumulating things on top of other things so you give from the point of view of avoiding that state of wastefulness that is pleasing to Allah and you're rewarded for that act but I'm just, but what Allah is saying there is that don't think that you giving of the things which you no longer need is the act of generosity which will take you to righteousness. That act of generosity which will take you to the peaks of righteousness is the one where you give of what you love. Because that involves a spiritual jihad. Okay? The other one doesn't involve any jihad. There's no jihad here. It's just, it's just stuff around your home. But, it's not meaningless. Of course, there is meaning in it. There is meaning in it. It is part of the system of sharing uh, the things that you have that you have no longer any need for so that you do not become amongst those who accumulate 
and become amongst those who are wasteful. But it also means too that, you know, if you have something which is um, of no value in the sense that it is torn and, you know, nobody is going to wear it. Again, now you reach the point where it's better you throw it in the garbage. Right? You know, don't go and take it down to the people who are collecting clothes for the needy. You know, because this is a problem that those who are involved in clothes collections face. You know, they say, we need clothes, please give us your used clothing. But it means used clothing which somebody else can take benefits from. I mean, don't bring stuff that's got holes and, you know, all over it, it's threadbare. I mean, nobody is going to be, a, it's going to give any use to anybody. And that which belongs in the garbage, put it in the garbage. Yes, go ahead. Alaikum salam. Uh, can miswak gum or a lollipop break your fast? Gum or a lollipop will break your fast. Cleaning your teeth with miswak will not break your fast. Cleaning your teeth with toothpaste, you know, toothbrush, it will not break your fast. I mean, as long as you do not deliberately swallow what is produced by using the miswak or the toothpaste. Right? Whereas when you are chewing gum or you are sucking a lollipop, this, this is food. You know, these are food products. This is, you are chewing and swallowing all the time. You know? And nobody chews gum and spits out whatever comes out of the chewing. You swallow it. This is where the pleasure and the benefit comes from. So, uh, chewing gum and, and sucking lollipops will break your fast, whereas using miswak will not. But again, using miswak means not sucking on a miswak. You know, you have some people who will keep it in their mouth, you know, and be sucking on it the whole time. You know, chewing and sucking and chewing and sucking. No, this using miswak means you clean your teeth with the miswak, not turning it into a lollipop. <laughs> right? Where in fact you're chewing on it and the juices are constantly going down your throat. So we have to be careful, you know, although the miswak is permissible, it has to be used in accordance with the use of the miswak. At what time is the Pardon? Until what time is the miswak permissible? Yes. It's permissible throughout the fast. Uh, as far as I know, there was no specified time for its usage. Okay, I think we've uh, gone past our time quota. It's now 2.09. So, I'd like to close up our session. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Ashadu wa la ilaha al-hant. Astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. We ask Allah to help us to realize generosity in our actions. To share what we have with others. And to bless us with His grace for whatever acts of generosity we strive to do. Amen.